Welcome to the Weekly Offload, a podcast that discusses serious rugby league topics with a dash of dark humour. Welcome to the Weekly Offload, episode eight. Today we have a special guest with us, Justin Ashley. How are you, Justin? Yeah, well, thanks, Matty. And we also have Achilles Byrne, our NRLW expert. So on today's show, we are going to have six again with Justin Ashley. Then we are going to review the grand finals and have our question from our millions and millions of fans. So today, Justin, we've had a few six again. So you you got uh, big shoes to fill, mate. But you are our biggest guest on this show, (laughs) we must say. And also, can I say, if this doesn't go well, Achilles and I might be looking for a job on Monday. (laughs) We um, and I'm we might be at Centrelink, and I'm not talking about Centrelink Surrey Hills. I'm talking about Centrelink Parramatta. (laughs) You'll be you'll be in my hood. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, Justin, we're going to start with your six again. So what aspect of your character do you most attribute to your success? I think it's a combination, to be honest. I would say early in life, competitiveness and determination define me. So I would do whatever it took to achieve whatever outcome I needed to achieve. So that was by far and away what got me, you know, a foot in the door, let's Mm. say. But I think later in life, I think you've got to have a counterbalance to that. So I think combining the competitiveness and determination with a real deep care and a real uh, focus on excellence and how to do things better and having that weird juxtaposition of trying to do things well and caring about how you do things with this relentless determination, I think it's that combination that has helped the most. And was it, can I ask you as well, Justin, was it hard to tame the beast, so to speak, because... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and how, yeah, how did you... Do you feel like... Uh, I would say, personally, knowing you, that I think you have done well to sort of um, not not change the way you are, but I think I find you more relaxed. I don't know if mm. Achilles would agree with that. No, absolutely. But I think the determination hasn't changed. But, yeah, how, how, how did you do that? would you say, Justin? Uh, Having a daughter helps, I would Mm. say. Um, Just getting, as you get older in life, I think, and as you start to get more comfortable in yourself, I think a lot of that comes from from a need to prove yourself and even to some degree a lack of confidence in some ways. Because you're not where you want to be yet, you feel like you always need to prove something. And when you have achieved a lot more than what you originally thought you ever would, you don't feel that need to live up to anyone else's standards. And I think with that comes a sense of calm. And then from that, you can start to be a little bit more relaxed, I guess. Uh, You know, I think in addition to that, you start to realise that there aren't many people in the world that are like me, right? Mm. So, you know, I'm the unusual sort of 1% who can work 16 hours a day, seven days a week and do it for two decades. That's not normal. And I don't encourage it. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but it's it's that's what I I'm I'm cut out for doing that. But realizing and recognizing that that's a unique skill that no one else has to do that, and nor should they try, because it, there's a there's an inbuilt energy within me that I have always had and I will always have. But it isn't a typical thing for most people. So I think being able to understand that, and then really I think what I where what has helped the most is being able to surround yourself with people who are 
um, your weaknesses as opposed to surrounding yourself with people who are like mm. you. So I've become really good over the years at understanding what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and then surrounding myself with people who are doing the things that I wouldn't either be good at or not want to really do. Can I just tell a quick um, story? So obviously, as you said, Justin, there's not that many people like you. I, I remember Luciano, uh, <laughs> if we can give a shout out to Luciano, having the same experience as me. So we both started at the Surrey Hills gym. And I, I remember both of us um, sort of when you'd walk in the office, if we weren't doing anything, we'd kind of be like, oh, quickly, just pretend you're on the computer <laughs> and like really get nervous. So I know Justin had that, oh, Justin, sorry, uh, Luciana had that exact same experience. So as you said, you're probably in the 1% of people, um, but that's probably in our own minds as well. You're probably busy with other things, you know what I mean? So, yeah, but I thought that was pretty funny. funny at 5'9 and 70 kilos, to make Luciano at 6'1 and 100 kilos feel uncomfortable makes me feel pretty good. Yeah, the biggest one in the room, mate. Um, so, Justin, with uh, what a lot of people probably might not know is um, you were a semi-professional soccer player. So how did your experience as a semi-professional soccer player help you in your business career? It can't do anything but shape you. From the age of four through to the age of 20, all I did was play football. And there's so many things that you learn from that. I came through, I was lucky enough to be involved in the NSWIS, New South Wales Institute of Sport programs, as well as play within the Wollongong Wolves team when they won the old NSL back in the day. So you're part of these high-performing squads and high-performing teams. But the thing was with me, I wasn't talented like many of the other guys. Yeah, guys who used to rock up and, you know, be wizards on the field. Mm. And I wasn't that guy. I was the worker in the room. So I think I learned from a young age that there were two ways to win. You could either have the talent or you could have the work ethic and determination. And I only had the choice but to go with option number two. So mm. I think that's one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing, that shaped what I do today and how I sort of behave and what I pride myself on. Well, I think Andrew Johns um, said one, so obviously he's the most, I guess you could say, talented uh, footballer in the world. He said that he talent got him to a certain point and then once he got to that point, he was like, oh, I better do something. Mm, or yeah. like, because uh, he was going out with the boys, he was sort of like, at worst, I think he still did that to the end of his career yeah. too. But, you know, he had to he had to put in the extras because everyone does the same training, don't they, mm, essentially. Yeah. So he was like, what can you do outside of, of that? Um, would you agree with that? You need to, I guess, do those extra 5% or 10% off the pitch as well. Yeah, there's nothing more common than a talented failure. Um, but I really think that it's about how can you do all of the things that matter. And the guys that I played with in, in soccer and football terms, one of the most famous guys is a guy by the name of Alex Brosk. So mm. he played for Australia, many, many caps under his belt, played in the A-League, scored a bunch of goals. He never made our New South Wales teams as a kid. So he was always getting knocked back and knocked back and knocked back. And it wasn't until he hit about 17 years old of just pursuing this passion and being the hardest worker in the room that he really shone through. Mm. And then there were other guys who were far more talented, who were the first ones picked, who were getting signed for Premier League teams at the age of 15 and 16, who didn't have that same work ethic and never made it. So there's representations all over across all codes that usually I think determination wins out. Mm. Would you agree, Achilles? Yeah, absolutely. Like with your fighting background as yeah. well. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like you just got to look at all the greats have it right. Like perfect example, Michael Jordan and his mm. story got rejected from his basketball team, and he said one day I'm going to make it. And he was, 
he like you talk to anyone, he was always there like half an hour early before training. He would stay back a couple of hours after training. He was there seven days a week working, working, working. And he'd want to surround himself with hardworking guys. And it goes to show how many championships they won back to back. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, yeah. Mm. I just finished watching the David Beckham um, mm. uh, uh, documentary on Netflix too. Same thing. Just a work ethic. Just like even when you got rejected from the side, he'd still rock up and still train with the second team or even train on his own. So like, you know, that, that excellence, it, 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 you know, every, everyone's got that work ethic if you want to achieve that excellence. Now, this one, my partner suggested not to ask this to your boss, <laughs> but I said, do you believe injury or talent stopped you from being a professional soccer player? 100% talent. <laughs> uh, Polly, I told you. <laughs> Shout out to the editor of the weekly offload, my fiance. But, you know. Look, I think there's a couple of things. I think I think it's I think it's a combination. You know, I think talent is definitely a huge part of it. But I don't think the most talented players were necessarily the ones that made it. Mm-hmm. I also think there's an element of timing. You know, there's nothing like timing. And in my world, yeah. it was the movement from the NSL to the A League. So what that meant was 16 teams down to eight at the time when I was 19. So it was quite challenging at that point in time to be able to make that cut, particularly when more money and internationals came back to play in Australia. So it became quite challenging. And then there's options. You know, at that point in time, I just commenced my career working for Fitness First. So I really had a bit of a fork in the road. Do I continue to pursue this football career or do I go and chase this other thing that I look like I'm kind of good at? And so at that point in time, I made the choice to quit, you know, soccer, to quit football at the age of about 20 years old and just focus on my career. Mm, yeah, that is young. I think Dan and Kem, so he does a rugby league podcast. He said a similar thing to yourself. So he said, I could have either played uh, in the rugby league community. There's a big difference between playing 40 games and 100 games. But to mm. him, he said in a in general everyday life or to an everyday person he said there's no there was no difference because he he knew he said like i'm a finisher i'm not a superstar so basically he decided i'm gonna stop this and then originally he was just working on the minds with miserable and then started a successful podcast mm. um but we're coming for you Denon. yes we're definitely <laughs> but yeah he, it's it's an interesting it's interesting what you said just in terms of uh, you decide that it's because most people at 20 would have said, oh, that's such a uh, young age to make that decision. But then look at the success you've had now. Obviously, it's paid off. Yeah, and I, I agree completely with, with what Denon said. I was in the same boat. I might have made it to the A-League as a bench player. Mm. I might have been in and out of the squad, but I was never going to be the best player. I might have then made it into a second division team in England or Germany, mm. training at you know minus three degrees for you know, a short career, I was never going to be an absolute superstar at a professional level. I didn't have the attributes and the talent to be able to achieve that. So you make the the hard decision. I remember I cried like a baby. (laughs) I did. I cried (laughs) like a baby when I made the call to do it. It's been my lifelong dream for 16 years and that's Mm. all I pursued. But it was a point in time where you have to make those decisions. And yeah, I made it early. I ripped the bandaid. But looking back, it was the best best decision Mm. that I made. Can I, this is actually not on the run sheet, but could I ask you, Justin, after you uh, said you're upset and then thought about what what I was what you're going to do, how long did it take you to discover fitness, or how, yeah, or how long did you need to process that you weren't going to make it? it? It was it was funny. So the first the first re- rejection I got was I moved from Wollongong Wolves over to Northern Spirit, 
And so I'd been through all the processes and I was about to get signed as a, on hopefully a first grade contract at that point in time. I was only 18 years old, so I was really young. I could have still maintained a youth contract. So I went through the whole process. I'd left Wollongong at the time and I went to Spirit. And then at the last minute they said, sorry, we're going to put you out into our feeder club, which is Manly in the State League, which was still great. I'm 18 years old playing State League first grade. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a good opportunity, but it was a bit of a setback. So I started thinking at that point in time, what else could I start to do? So I quickly got into the fitness industry off the back of uni. So it didn't, it wasn't dropping one and then figuring out what I was going to do. I was already working in the industry. I already had some runs on the board. So I think the decision was quite easy at that point. Mm -hmm. And with that, like, you know, at an early age, that mature choice, you know, like when you're that young, you, everyone's got like a big ego, you know, like, and to put your ego aside and choose that path is, is like a, a sense of early maturity, which paid off dividends. Yeah, I don't think it was a lack of ego. Maybe it was the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was kicking goals yeah. in yeah. fitness first. So yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to chase that. I'm going to chase a new trophy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, where can I be number one? I'm not going to be David Beckham, but I might be yeah. in the fitness world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so leading on to that, mate, um, how did you come up with the idea for your business? Obviously, one playground now. Yeah, so it, it's quite a journey, but ultimately it was through, like most businesses, through frustration. I'd been in the fitness industry and it, it had given a lot to me, but I looked around me and you could see how staff failed all the time. You had these dropout rates and it just didn't mm. make sense to me. How can you go and spend all this money on a course, go and become a personal trainer mm. and then quit six months later? It just, yeah. I couldn't compute. You're, you know, as uh, one of the guys who works with us, Emmanuel always says, he used to be a butcher and I love his story. He used to be a butcher. And I remember asking him about six months into his role, how's it going? And he says, mate, it's the easiest and best job ever. He goes, I used to carry dead carcasses across a road. <laughs> and now I listen to music, talk to people yeah. in shorts and sneakers mm -hmm. and help them get fitter and stronger. Mm -hmm. How can people not love this? And I'm of the same view. It's, mm -hmm. This is the best industry and the best job you could ever do in your life. So usually when people don't succeed or when they're unhappy in it, it's because of their workplace, not because of the people who've actually gone out and done the course and stepped into a role. Mm. So I kind of felt a little bit um, responsible to some degree where I can help young people who go into the wrong workplace to be able to create a workplace where they get success. So one of our first people we hired was a head of education and that head of education helped our new you know, coaches and trainers to be able to come, become good at what they do because we knew that was an important part. So I think step one was about how do you change the experience for a staff member? And then step two, I felt like if we did that, we could change it for a member. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but you have up to 100% of members in some gyms who quit their membership every year. So wow. they turn over their entire member base every single year. Wow. It's just crazy. And up to 50% of them don't use their membership at all. So I thought, hang on a second, we're out there selling this product. We're spruiking this idea of health and fitness. But the ones who really need it don't actually use it. Mm -hmm. So we, had, we hadn't really built a business or there hadn't been a product yet or a brand yet that I felt had served people well enough where people were actually getting results and showing up and using it. So the big mission became, how do we change the environment and experience for the member? So number one, they actually want to show up because most people mm. hate going to the gym. And then number two, we've got amazing coaches and classes so they get amazing results and want to keep coming back. Mm. And that was kind of the mission that we started with. I, I can say, uh, I think Achilles, you can probably attest to this too. I can say like the support 
that you receive at one play Absolutely. again is very different. As you were saying, Justin, about someone quitting, I think it's that. I think it's the confidence of a mm. trainer going into a gym and being like, oh, I got to talk to people off the floor that mm. it doesn't feel Ollie from uh, one playground. He uh, says it's kind of like if when you're a younger male or female and you're in a club trying to pick up, he yeah. said, if you have that desperation on <laughs> you, he's like, it just will yeah. not happen. But if you're just with your friends having a good time, you might meet your future wife or husband. Yeah. You never know. But he said that desperation, people do, they feel it. Like yeah. So at other gyms, I, I've had it at... Um, Fitness first in uh, Parramatta, if I can mention them. Uh, I, I had it. I had a trainer come up to me, yeah. actually, and I could kind of like tell he was like, "Oh, how's your training going?" And mm. I, I knew like where the conversation was going. And I'm a trainer, yeah. so I better put on some more muscle because obviously he thought I needed a bit of help <laughs> with that section. But it just it was that feeling of that. Uh, it's when you get sold something, and then you go home and you think. Did I really want to buy that? Yeah. And I think that it's a it's sort of a dirty feeling. And mm -hmm. I think one playground's really good at basically uh, you uh, getting them to tell you their goals and mm -hmm. then working together. It's a relationship. It's not one way where they go home and think, oh, I actually didn't want that. It's the relationship. Would you agree yeah, with absolutely. that, Achilles? Well? I just want to give Justin a bit of praise. Like me, I I've I was a member for about six years and I. Um, one playground do um, an academy. So I became a member. Then I did my academy with the one playground and then became a coach. And all the while, like, you know, Justin has created this amazing culture within the gyms as a member and now working for yourself. Um, like the environment that you create. And, like, there's one thing that I said about yourself, Justin, is you're very approachable. The fact that you know all your trainers and even members, you're, you're very approachable. You know everyone by name. You come up, shake our hands, and give us time of day. For the success and the CEO of a company that you have, you're very, very, very approachable and very caring, you know. And that, and, and as an employee, we want to work for someone like that. And it just shows through throughout the whole gym. And I think that's why you give us the experience that we can give to the members. And that's why uh, that is um, that's probably why the, the success of the one playgrounds is, is growing strength to strength. Mate, I'll, uh, I'll slip you 50 yeah. later. I was, about, yeah. I was about to say a sucker. Yeah. <laughs> but I did. I must agree with you. Yeah. I just the whole time, that's why I was smiling because I was about to, we were thinking the same. I was about to say sucker. Just in the background. I was like, that might not be professional. <laughs> but even, even as a member, I'd, I'd see you walk on the floor. You'd say, G'day, how are you? Like, like I'm just a member, you know? And it's like, it's like yeah, that's the owner of the gym, mate. It's like, not many owners of a gym and not many people that work in a big company see And I get CEOs are busy, but like, you know, there's a saying, a good shepherd knows his sheep and you know every single one of us, which is fantastic. Yeah, I think, uh, I think many people approach things the wrong way. Mm. I love being in the gym. Mm. I don't want to sit in this office that, you know, I wear this suit all the time. I wish I was actually rocking up in my shorts, sneakers, T-shirt and out on the gym floor. That's yeah. what I'd love to be doing. In the role that I'm in today, I don't get to do that enough, but I still mm. love being out on the ground and I really think about things in a different way. I think a lot of people think of the business like a pyramid, right? Where the CEO is on the top mm. and then the staff and the members are down the bottom. I think about it in the complete opposite way. The members are number one, the staff support the members, the managers support the, the staff <laughs> and then I'm right down the bottom, okay, doing my best to support everybody else. It's amazing. And I think that that's the approach that I've tried to take in the business over many years and I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. 
Yeah. I would say Luciano's down the bottom, but <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Um, so what is your vision leading on from this chat? What is your vision for the future? Uh, this could be um, as long as you like, because I know obviously it's grown so much even since I've uh, been a part of it. So this, mm. yeah, this could be amazing. Yeah, the, the thing that we started with is it still remains the same. The core is always there. We want to change the gym environment and experience and create something that inspires a member to change. So the member walks in, they hate the gym, they walk out and they love the gym. If we can do that, we've kicked most of our goals. And uh, part two is with staff. If we can create an environment where someone who has a job they hate starts with us and they find a job they love, then I feel like we're doing what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a bit airy-fairy, up in the air, wishy-washy, and there might be some things that are a little <laughs> bit more quantifiable, but we don't really want to build the most gyms in the world. That's never been our goal. I feel that there's a, um, a battle between building the best gyms and building the most gyms. And most owners that start, their goal is to build the most gyms. I don't really want to do that. I don't have any desire to just build gyms for the sake of building gyms. Um, the objective is, and the world doesn't need more gyms, you know, what the world needs, in my opinion, is better gyms. Mm -hmm. So how can we create an environment where our members succeed, where our staff succeed, where people walk in there and they're like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I'm so mm -hmm. inspired. I've never seen a space like this. And, you know, the biggest compliment I can get is this doesn't even feel like a gym. It feels like something else. Mm -hmm. And I love hearing that, which we hear from time to time, which is amazing. So the future is to do more of that. And that's not to say that we won't grow or expand, we will, but we're growing and expanding with the view to be able to provide a great experience yep. for more people in more places. Yeah, love that, quality over quantity. It's, love that. Well, I was just gonna say, um, I know Gordon Ramsay definitely listens to our podcast. So <laughs> no offense, Gordon, but, um, but I have heard that he was criticized for opening too many restaurants. Yeah. And that was a question he's asked many times also obviously with his tv career but he's been asked many times do you think you've over uh sort of or over. spread yourself thin in mm. the in um with your restaurant so do you think that that is why you keep it so small at the moment and you, do you have any areas you want to uh, say on this podcast as a first for everyone that you, Ooh, you might be going into an yes. exclusive <laughs> we, we, we've got some new locations coming i'll touch on the point you were saying about about Gordon Ramsay, and I, I completely agree with that. If you think about Apple, so when Apple was the most valuable company in the world, want to have a guess how many products they had? Five, right? Oh, wow. So they were the most valuable company in the world with five products. So it wasn't about having the most products like most other electronic companies would do. They literally just had the best phone, the best laptop, mm. the best iPad, and whatever else they had floating around at that point in time. But they didn't feel like they just needed to do more and more and more. And I think we're very much, you know, we're definitely not Apple, but we have the same approach in that I would rather have one amazing gym. And we have thousands and thousands and thousands of members in our gyms, you know, or we could open, mm. you know, gyms that aren't so good and they might only have one or 200 members. So I guess the objective is how can we actually create a space that, you know, the idea and vision for one playground is having one playground with endless experiences. Mm. How can you go into one space with one membership and just have everything at your fingertips? So that's kind of the goal. 
Yeah, well, that is the one one playground, isn't it? Yeah. And I know many of my clients just kind of believe that we have the wellness center in Marrickville. Um, I don't know if you have the same experience, Achilles, yeah. but as you were saying before the podcast, a lot of people that visit um, Justin's gyms, they can't believe the price or just yeah. there's so much, um, I guess, features to quality. it. Quality. If I could yeah. say quality, like... 100%. You know, yeah, uh, the facilities are great. We've got world-class facilities, especially like yourself and I, Matthew and I, we work over at the Marrickville uh, gym and we've got that wellness center. And it's just that, that R factor when people walk in. It's like, oh, I've never seen, oh, oh, oh. Like you, you walk through there, it's just, ah, ah, ah. So <laughs> it's non-stop. And, <laughs> and how many, like, how many? Yeah, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then like they, they see the price of the gym and it, 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 it's, not, it's just irrelevant then. They just want to be a part of it. And then they meet the staff and the members, and it's just, it, it, if anything, if it's, it just feels like a community, you know, mm. like over in the Marrickville and all the one playground gyms, but just speaking um, experience through Marrickville, it's just, it, every, all the members just say, look, it's like family here, it's like community, you know, everyone, it takes me 10 minutes to walk from the front to the back and shaking everyone's hand, how's everyone's morning, you know, all my clients are looking at me going, mate, you're 10 minutes late. <laughs> but yeah, just, just we'll quality talk, we'll service. We'll talk about that after. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, just quality service, quality, quality, quality people, you know. Can I just ask you, Justin, this is off uh, track or off the questions, but just in terms of hiring staff, what, what do you see in someone that makes you think I need this person what is there a quality because obviously I know you've hired experienced people you've hired people yep. with no experience it, it, it sort of seems irrelevant but what mm. what quality did you see in myself and Achilles <laughs> yeah. um, now what quality do you see in a staff member that you think this is the person I think there's three things number one communication mm. you we need to in this day and age be able to communicate and inspire people and ultimately all of us are coaches it doesn't matter what role you do so you need to be able to get you need to be able to articulate and get someone to do what you need them to do. Number two would be you want to be looking for signs of determination and persistence. We need to find and ask the right questions to understand that when going gets tough, is that the kind of person who's going to give up or, you know, stray in the other direction or is that the person who's going to push through that? And then I think the final thing is a genuine passion for the industry. If you have someone who rocks up, who smells of cigarettes and, you know, looks like that they've never you know, step foot in a gym in their lifetime, mm. then the chances are they probably don't really care about it. And this is not a career or a passion, but it's just a job and a paycheck. Mm. So I think those three things combined are the main things we look for. And they can be present in someone who's got 10 minutes experience or 10 years, mm. and they cannot be present in someone who's got 10 years experience or, uh, or 10 minutes. So it's really cutting through to find those three defining features and the rest we can teach. Mm. And is that why, would you say, Justin, is that why you sort of at the start, it's quite... Um, I guess not the word intense, but do you think that you like to get people on the front foot for business? Is that mm. also a, a tactic or is it just for their peace of mind as well? I've always wondered that, to be honest. Yeah, two parts. So number one, we do five interviews before we hire someone. So that's pretty unique for our industry, which is usually a very short interview cycle. We want to ensure that we've got the right people on the bus in the first place. And not only are they we interviewing them, but they should be interviewing us. Mm. We're not the workplace for everybody. If you're not someone who ticks those three boxes that I mentioned before, the chances are you won't work out. The second thing I guess what you're speaking about is when they first kick off. Well, the thing is what I've realized over many years is if you're not performing really well by your third month, you're probably never gonna perform really well. So we wanna ensure that the people that start with us get off to a great start. Great people hate being unproductive. 
They don't want to come in and sort of figure things out and mosey around for months and months until they really start doing work. They want to be in there and feeling useful and purposeful straight away. So while it might feel intense, and it is intense, absolutely, we're trying to teach someone all of our systems and in the world of personal trainers, how do you be a personal trainer, a psychologist, a physiotherapist, a nutritionist? (laughs) There's so many different skills that our customers expect. So we've got to teach a lot of that where perhaps the education qualifications let people down. So we've got to fill in those gaps very quickly. Ultimately, the member doesn't really care whether your qualification prepared you or whether you've got 10 minutes experience. They're paying for a service and they expect a good quality. So our expectation and our standard is that all of our staff can deliver that quality very quickly. Can I just say, Achilles, you can uh, talk about your personal experience too, but can I just say for myself, because I started at uh, Fitness Playground at the time, left for England and then came back. And I found uh, both times completely different, but it was actually my mindset, not actually what I was doing. Because the second time I probably had more on, uh, on my plate in terms of um, the introduction and the training, but I actually found it easier than mm. the first time. So the first time... I felt uh, overwhelmed, but it just goes to show it was actually myself uh, because the second time around, I didn't feel overwhelmed at all. And I probably had more, more mm. leads, more work, more mm. everything. And I do remember with the other new trainers, they're like, oh, how are you finding it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I think, I think what, what one playground has done and Justin has done is um, to surround the people with like-minded people. So when, when you come into an industry, so I was a tradie before anyone, I was a tradie before... I became a coach and when I came like in the trading when you're out in, in like like shout out to all tradies um, but at, you've got you're working with plumbers electricians so everyone's got different different like goals throughout the day throughout the day it was so refreshing to come into an industry where everyone was looking at the same direction so I was a bit like yourself it was like oh, this is sort of easy and I think too that like you guys are really good at like what Justin was saying to get like-minded people with a bit of drive and a bit of passion, they want to move as one unit and not individually. And like when you just slot in that, and you guys are really good at picking that slot in, it's just like a wave that you just ride. And mm. I found I found that like you know there was a lot of support, um, um, you know the team that you get chosen in. Everyone's everyone's got the same personalities. You know you 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 know you're working with each other every day. You know, um, and you, you got to be able to get along. And, and I found like the transition from being a trader to a PT, it was just like a shoe that fits. Yeah, I think like we're mentioning obviously the logistics and the positive, but I think as well we just have a good time. (laughs) Like how how fun is it to come to work every day? I mean, with the characters we have at (laughs) Marrickville, I think, yeah, you can imagine. But just that, as I said, we're speaking about the positives Mm. and that's great as well. But I just want to say my personal experience is just having fun to come to work and that feeling, I don't know if either of you have had that, but going to work sick. That sick feeling, yeah. like you, uh, yeah, you hate. Well, we're not going to say we hate our boss anyway, <laughs> but you hate your boss or you hate your job. Just that that feeling. It's it's probably the worst feeling you can have if yeah. it's every day. Yeah, it, there's yeah. nothing worse than waking up. Look, when I knew I wanted to transition over to be a PT, I just didn't want to be at work anymore on the job site, um, and I just thought, no, you know, fitness has always been my passion, you know, and I, it was just it was just an easy choice. And once the hardest thing was. To make the first step because I never had my certs, and it just made sense. I was training at one playground for five, six years, and yeah, and then it just all of a sudden come up, and it was like, oh, why don't you do the industry with us? And I was just, and from there on, I just I hit the ground running. 
Yeah, 100%. So the last question, Justin, is if you had the power to change your life with the touch of a button, would you take... you got to be careful with this one because <laughs> I know Victoria might be listening. Um, <laughs> would you um, have your success in the fitness world or would you be a professional soccer player in Australia? We have a lot of English uh, listeners, so I must say it's football over there, which makes more sense. But would you, yeah, would you take your life now or would you... Click and then you're a you're Ronaldo, for example. Oh, okay. Up the stakes. Up the stakes. <laughs> you're not just playing in the you're not just playing in the A League, mate. You're Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. yeah would Ooh, you? Oh, okay. Uh, well, can you have both? Is that the is, yeah. it, is that an option on the table? I guess you know uh, if yeah both. Uh, I guess like you know if you're gonna put 100 percent into both, you know mm. one would lead to the other. So. No. Look, I, I think I think what I do admire about someone like Ronaldo is that he has extended outside of football and he makes such a big impact on people outside of his sport. So I think if you could use your whatever you've done to be able to have a greater impact on more people, I think that's something that's worth being proud of and striving for. But 100%, I'm, I'm happy with the choice that I've made and the choice that I made at the time 20 years ago now mm. to step into an industry that I was brand new at and then I think the biggest thing, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I think what matters is that you put 100% into what you do. And I think if you put 100% into what you do and you genuinely strive to be one of the best in the world at it, you're always going to be happy and successful and, you know, everything else will come off the back yeah. of that. So I think the important thing to remember and to walk away with is going, well, what do I love? What do I think I can be really good at? Mm. And then when you make that choice, go in with both feet. Yep. Don't be lazy. Don't sit there watching Netflix saying you're too busy and not. You know, spend the time that you have invested into your passion. And if you wake up every single day knowing that this is something that I love doing, then don't, don't really get too caught up, in my opinion, mm. on is this work, is this not work? It doesn't really matter. You know, it's, uh, it's fundamentally, are you working on your passion and your purpose? I've been working seven days a week for a long time, six or seven days. I love working. I love it. Mm. And, you know, someone who wants to sit there and say, oh, you shouldn't work so much, but it's something I enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of research and study around the greats and what they found was their work was their hobby and vice versa. And for some people listening, they might go, oh, you know, you should go ride a motorbike or surf, but I don't want to. You know, I want to be in my gyms and, you know, spend time with the people that work with me and my members. And they're the things that, that's part of what I enjoy. Mm -hmm. There's other things I do outside of that, of course, but I think it's about how do you find the thing that really lights you up? And then when you find that, just go all in. Mm. And then uh, on top of that, I just wanted to ask you, so your friends and family, have they always been supportive of as you said because you're working seven days or do they as you just mentioned are they saying oh justin why don't you surf or play fifa like achilles and Maddie? <laughs> um, like yeah do they sort of, do they say those sort of things because i know you did mention that look i've got a i got a full life so i still see my friends a lot i say i've always made time for my family and friends and that's one thing that i don't compromise mm. uh at the same time of course i have you know people that i surround myself with uh, firstly, being empathetic and understanding about my dreams and the things that are important to me and being supportive of that. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, I've got to make sure that together we make time for everybody. So I think it's finding that balance and I, I think I've been able to do that over the years. And I think it's quite a simple equation. Get up early, 
you know, don't spend too much time sitting on your butt watching TV or mm. on the couch. And you can you can get a lot done in the you know hundred or so waking hours that you got mm. in a week. I, I yeah, I I love that that saying. Like you surround yourself with things that you love doing, because then like if you start chasing that and you know, then your cup will start overflowing. You know, like if you start chasing things that like get stuck in a job that you hate or you know, start chasing money or, you know, like everyone needs money to live, but like you're never going to have enough. And I always say to the guys at the back, you know, surround yourself with things that you love because then you, you, you will be successful in your own way, if yeah. that makes sense. And like, you know, and, and you wake up every day and you want to do those things and it will yeah. just make, it'll make life that much more meaningful. And to that, I think success is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. And I don't think that my version or what people see my version of success to be is for everybody. And to be honest with you, what people see from the outside is what not what I see as success. Mm. You know, what success is for me is supporting my family, being there for my daughter, supporting my wife and being able to provide where I can. It's also about how can I create success in others? Yeah. And they're the things that really light me up. I don't care how much money I've got in the bank. I really don't. I have no connection whatsoever with that. Money will come and go. It is not what defines me yeah. or anything that satisfies me or anything that I care about. Yeah. What really drives me is if you think about a list of values my number one value is my family you know my number two value is my friends and my relationships and they're the things that are the most important thing to me and work just happens to be part of a vehicle that allows me to have an impact on both my family my friends but then also other people that work with me or attend our venues i love that and you've um, so you said you've, you're working seven days and then you've taken another role on it uh, i was active as a career ambassador, so did you want to tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, it's it's really about what I've been talking about the whole time, you know. For, for me, I failed my HSC. I got 34 in my UAI. School wasn't for me. And I know there's a lot of other kids that get told at that age that they're not smart or they're not good enough, and I was one of those kids. And I, I think about that, and it frustrates me a little bit because I know that it's just a different type of intelligence. I'm a kinesthetic learner. Put me in a room today at the age of 40, and I still can't sit still. Right, But if you put me in an environment where I'm active and I'm engaged and I'm involved, then I'm going to perform and be one of the better performers in that group. So the school system, from my point of view, is broken. And it's only serving one type of intelligence. It's the person who can sit there in silence, writing down, listening, reading. I'm not that guy. So being able to take people who I think are like me who love their sport, who love their activity, who love people, and showing them there's another way, that maybe they didn't go so well in school, but they, there's another path for them that they can succeed in, that really lights me up and that really inspires me. And hopefully when I go out to places like TAFEs and universities and schools, uh, to you know different programs that I'm getting involved in, that one 18-year-old or 19-year-old who sits there and says, what am I gonna do with my life? looks at what I've been able to achieve as someone who failed their HSC and was told they weren't smart enough to do their favourite subject by their teachers and actually goes, you know what, no matter what's happened to me up until this point in my life, there is a path that I can follow. And that doesn't have to be in the fitness industry. It's great if it is, but if it isn't, that's okay. As long as they can walk away from that interaction going, you know what, I do have hope. Or even I still remember, actually, I'll tell a quick story. I was at my old university. I got a sporting scholarship into uni. I was really lucky. And I'm standing at the front of the university and they got me in as a guest speaker, which was super bizarre knowing my background. But I stood at the front and it was the, the parents with the students 
And so I'm there speaking and I'm telling my story. And it wasn't just the kids who lit up, it was their parents as well. Because their parents are sitting there going, I've got this degenerate kid who keeps getting into trouble, <laughs> right? And I, I know I once was that degenerate kid, but it wasn't. It was just the fact that you needed somewhere to place your energy and the classroom wasn't the place. So just seeing those parents and those kids walk away from that interaction with hope was one of the big catalysts to get me involved with Active and trying to impact more kids. Yeah, I've had clients that have had similar experiences to yourself. They're very successful in their life now and career, but they just said just as a child, just school wasn't for them. And a similar thing, their parents were thinking they would do nothing with their lives. Yeah. And now uh, one works at a university actually in Sydney. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, and he, he grew up in Ireland actually. So he, yeah, he said that he's, his whole schooling life, they thought he's not really going to do that much. So he said it's quite ironic. Um, but I think that's a great message you you make, yeah. uh, Justin. I think that's amazing. Did you have anything to add? Yeah, no, no, I just think that's awesome, mate. Like, again, like me, I've got, like, grew up with ADHD and I was similar, like, to your story. Couldn't concentrate, couldn't sit. I can't even sit still now. If you ask anyone that works with me, I'm always in and out. I'm annoying 99.9% of the people I work with. Sorry, guys. But, um, yeah, like, if, if, if I went to school and there was a different pathway or – you know, like I can't read and write properly. So if there was like audio books or something, maybe it could have been a different story for me. Mm. But you know, like the fact that you're showing kids a different avenue is, I think, is very fantastic. There, there's an interesting saying that I just heard over the weekend, which is, if you want to understand the mind of the successful entrepreneur, look into the mind of the juvenile delinquent. Yeah, um, wow. So you yeah, know, they feel that there's a lot of parallels. Well, I was going to say Emmanuel, we don't want to say too much, but Emmanuel had a bit of a rough uh, upbringing and then he's very successful in his business. But he's our sponsor, by the way, shout Fit out. Living. So shout out to <laughs> Fit Living. Um, so I think, boys, that was probably Amazing. our best six again yes. ever. I yeah. mean, with, with Matt Gardner, you couldn't understand him because he's a Northern Englishman. Uh, we needed subtitles for that. But I think that, yeah, what do you think? Fantastic, you mate. It, what do you give it? Achilles? Mate, 11 out of 10. Right here, he's your boss. He's so my he, boss. He's your boss. <laughs> um, so that was amazing. Should yeah. we? We're going to move on, boys. To uh, we're going to talk about the grand finals over the weekend. So Justin is actually a South Sydney supporter. Before we mention um, South Sydney, I just wanted to speak about Nathan Merritt. We just mm. wanted to send our well wishes to Nathan Merritt. Um, obviously, he is on life support and struggling at the moment. So from the weekly offload, we just wanted to send our condolences, not condolences, but just thoughts to the family, yeah. to the, the Merritt family. Get well soon, bud. Get We're well soon. Yeah, 100%. But we know Nathan is a fighter. So the game was um, South Sydney beat the Brisbane Lions 42 to 22, uh, Brisbane Tigers. And it's interesting because, Justin, actually, you might not know this, but New South Wales has won the last six years of this competition. So the, I guess the narrative used to be that the Queensland Cup was a more uh, or a bigger competition. But mm. actually, yeah, it's... it's it's. I, I want to ask you, Justin, with COVID, let's link it to your business as well. So rugby league players have struggled um, or they've struggled to bring in new athletes just due to COVID. So basically what Phil Gould was saying, there's no one out there. So it's saturated the market. So anyone that's good, they sort of buy. Did you find that in hard with getting trainers to uh, one playground as well just after COVID? Uh, cream rises to the top in, in hard times, right? So I think what we found was uh, it, it was there was a, 
a massive world change at that point in time. And there was a lot of restrictions. So you had no internationals coming and there was a lot of different things that were occurring. So what we tended to find was that we had major challenges in certain areas, but in other areas we had a flood of people. But I think over time the cream rises to the top off the back of whatever has occurred in the world around you. And we started to see a constant flood of people coming back in. Yeah, so that's... Uh, so Achilles, did you have any thoughts on that match? Yeah, mate. Uh, well, you know, the Rabbitohs, you know, versus the Tigers... Mate, it's it's hard. It's hard. The, the Tigers, I don't think, were ever in the game. Um, the Rabbitohs were just too slick. When you got, when you got like you know, Tyrone Munro, which is that he's a superstar former. I think he's going to be uh, a former Origin player soon. Like you know, in in the future, um, probably play for Australia. He's just he's so sleek. He he reminds me of a young Greggy Inglis. You know, mm. just with his jumping abilities. Um, you know, he's only young too. He's only like 17, 18, you know. Like, uh, he was playing um, SG Borg like last year. So come up and he, and he made his debut this year and absolutely killed it. Um, and, uh, and you got guys like, you know, Shaq, uh, Shaq um, that plays – he played like the NRL um, a couple of – what, last season and mm. this season. Mm. Um, yeah, just – just they were just all over him, you know. Um, when you, when, look, they were – you know, the possession rate was like 51%. Their completion rate was 72, you know. Um, the running meters were like nearly 2,000. So, like, it's hard to it's hard to win against, like, former former NRL players, you know. And Buddy Gordon, did you know he debuted in 2005 wow. and he played? Really? Yeah. So, yeah, he wow. played. So, he debuted with Benji Marshall and obviously mm. the greats like that. Yeah. And then he's he played over the weekend. So, then the weird thing is that some of the people he played with were born yeah. <laughs> in 2005 so yeah, yeah. it's an unusual yeah. i know when i ever see a client um pop up and it has their their date of birth i don't know how you feel achilles but if it says the year 2000 i just feel really weird yeah. i just yeah. think like how yeah. can they be you know old enough to to Be come playing, in the yeah. gym yeah it, it goes just, quick it goes quick yeah, well, uh, look, look, the Tigers did play all right. Look, you know, it's hard, again, like, you know, there were a couple of standouts for the Tigers. I think, you know, look, when you talk about these young kids, we've seen young, young Cole Geyer, which is like a son of, you know, one of the great Geyer family. Um, and, and Tom Rafter played very well. Um, and also, like, you know, I think they've only got like one NRL guy in there, which is um, uh, uh, Jennings, George Jennings. Um, but, like, yeah, they were never really in the game, you know. Like, the, the possession rate was only 49%. The completions were all right, 73, but they, like, you, they got outran. Their, their post-contact meters weren't that much either. And, you know, like, missed tackles at 27, you can't really do that against, like, you know, when you got up against quality sides that have played NRL before. So, um, you know, look, the score wasn't – I think they scored a, lot, a, late, a couple of late tries, which made it look a little bit better. But, yeah, they were never on the park. And like you said, like, you know um, – the Queensland Cup was always a bit more prestigious than, than the NRL Cup. And it's good to see now it's starting to even out. Mm, so, Achilles, question for you. Do you think the Rabbitohs have got what it takes to bounce back next year? I'm a massive Rabbitohs fan. Do you think you saw enough within that New South Wales Cup team to strengthen the first grade side? Yes, I do. I, I think the Rabbitohs, um, I think what lacked with the Rabbitohs this year was a bit of inconsistency and, and a, a few injuries, but also, um, you know, uh, suspensions as well. Mm. They do have a team. Um, Latrell Mitchell, you know, he, he he cops a lot of flack, but like he's just class. Cody Walker, I think I seen the interview with um, 
with Nathan Cleary and they asked him, you know, who's the best player that you played with? And he's, he said Cody Walker, just natural talent. Um, and they've got, they've got the team to do it across the park, you know. And with, with the inclusion of White, uh, Jack White, Jack White yeah. coming in, um, yeah. like they've got a playing group that could win it for a couple of years, you know. So I think if they just sort that, that, that sort of like, you know, on-field you know, penalties and, and, and injuries and, and get playing as a team, because I think, like, you know, with the Rabbitohs, they get scrutinised a lot. Um, if they're doing well, they're on top. But then, like, because they've, they've got the talent there. And when they start losing a couple of games, it, it sort of plays with them psychologically. So to answer your question, yes, I do think they could win it. And they've got the playing group there. Yeah, to close off um, this chat about the State Cup, Rabbitohs were my tip to win the grand final before the year started. And then when they knocked over Storm and Penrith in consecutive weeks, I remember the second game, I think I was in Bali watching it, and I said to Polly, I'm like, they'll win it. I think Souths will win it. Obviously, it looked very bad <laughs> by the end of the season. Lucky on our NRL review, I changed my tip to Broncos. That was probably eight weeks out, and I was so close to being right. But Achilles <laughs> pipped it at the end with uh, Penrith. So I might ask um, Justin, we're going to do our uh, NRLW chat. So so Achilles has become a superstar with this chat, Justin. So it might be like us being with you in terms of business. Um, I'm intimidated by him on this chat. He's, he's been excellent. But I might ask you, Justin, in terms of women's sport, obviously you have a daughter. Well, we all, actually all yeah. three of us are, uh, have a daughter. So I might ask you, in terms of women's sport, do you think uh, that's a positive or do you think the direction that they're going in at the moment um, will benefit, say, your daughter when she wants to play? Sport. Women's World Cup of Soccer was life-changing. Amazing. Yeah, best women's sporting event I've ever seen. I've always been a big fan of women's tennis, but I think that Women's World Cup of, of Soccer, which mm -hmm. has been a traditionally a, a men's game, really put women's sport on the map. Yeah. And you could see the quality of the players and the passion of the crowds, and there was really no difference. And arguably, the games were as enjoyable to watch as any of the men's game have ever been. The amount of support that the Australian public gave to that tournament, but even globally, yeah. made that the most watched, I believe the most watched women's sporting event of all time. Wow. And that was just inspiring to see. So that going across codes, you know, that's great as well. For my daughter, being able to recognise that there's heroes in that she can follow within the sporting realms across different sports, I, I think it's just amazing. And I think the Women's World Cup of Soccer in particular was a real shining light about women's sport. Mm. I think, I think um, yeah, to, to back up that, I think the NRL do a lot to support the women's game. Um, and, I, and I think, like, you know, take it with this grand final, it was quality, quality grand final. Um, so much quality, like the possession rate for the girls, like the Knights versus the Titans, it was like 50%. You know, there wasn't much separating between them. But, like, like again, like, like the men's game, come, come off the man, come off the woman, come off the hour, to make it up then. Our girl Tamika Upton, she was absolutely fantastic. Um, like she, she just you know, literally won that game off the back of her of her running. And she was, I had written down here, she was the first player since Jonathan Thurston in 2015 to win the Dally M and Grand Final Player of the Match. So yeah. that's pretty, Mate. that's a big, and we have wrapped her on this uh, podcast endlessly. Uh, another one I wanted to mention was Yasmin Clydesdale which Achilles has all, was also spotted her really early in the 
uh, season yeah. and she finished with 184 meters from yeah. 24 runs. Yeah. So I want to give a shout out to our NRLW yeah. expert because she was amazing in that match. Well, if I could give you some stats of Yasmin Clyde, I'm sorry to cut you off. She came first with the 21 hit-ups. Again, with 184 run metres, only to come second to our girl to make it up then. She ran 195 metres. She was first in the tackles with 25 tackles. She was first in the post-contact metres with 77. And she, like, did two offloads. Like, like she is your workhorse. And I think I mentioned, like, if, when you watch that grand final, like, the Titans were so fantastic. Like, they, they kept the Sydney Roosters to zero, which was, like, the most attacking team. They 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 they, mur- they murdered everyone, like throughout the season, and the Titans kept them to zero. And like and, and the fact that like um, Yasmin Clydesdale like came first in the post contact meters was is amazing. Yeah, and uh, the, so the Gold Coast Titans they finished last in two thousand twenty two. So for them to uh, come back and make the grand finals a massive, it's massive. a huge effort. And Jamie Chapman she How scored good. a hat trick, and Polly was watching it and she thought she was unstoppable. She's oh. like, where did she co- even come from? She was amazing, wasn't she? Oh. I, I'm pretty sure she's another teenager or very young player in the side as very, well. Very, very young, yeah. She's she's so amazing. 14 tackle breaks, three line breaks. She was awesome. And I also want to give a shout-out to Lauren Brown. She um she gives seven, uh, three – three all three tries was off Lauren Brown's passing. Um, she did three line break assists. She ran for, uh, she kicked 107 meters, which is great. Like for a team that got sort of dominated, uh, but they were in the game, you know. And also, uh, it doesn't help to when there's. I, I think the star of, of the Titans team was their fullback uh, Ivan Paletti. Um, it did. It didn't help when she got injured, you know. But she was playing on one leg and she still ran for 220 meters, which is insane. Um, yeah. So look, look, the Titans played well, but it's just it just comes down when it comes down to those one percent. It just comes down to talent, you know, like and, and the work ethic. And she was Dally M winner for a reason. And to make it up to mate, I was like, me and my missus were jumping up and down on the couch when she scored that last run. I think I sent the boys a video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was the opposite because I, I tipped the Titans on this show. So I was the opposite. Um, yeah, I really thought the Titans had that. It, it's like similar to what you were saying, Justin, that. Uh, not skill, but just will. Yeah. Just had that hard work ethic because I was at the game before when they beat the Roosters and just watching live, Titan, Roosters had all the skill. They have all the big names in their NRLW, the Roosters, yeah. and they just, it was like a uh, massive effort for them to even make the grand final. So Absolutely. unlucky. Yeah, congratulations to unlucky. Newcastle Knights. Yeah, two in a row. As two well. in a row. I mean, and they're only a young club. They came into the to the grade in 2021 mm. and they won 22 now 23 and i, I think they they got enough to do the next year as well so yeah 100 uh we'll close off the nrlw chat with just saying that achilles and i have loved the nrlw amazing um our partners and ourselves have have absolutely loved the women's yeah. game and i'm glad justin you actually mentioned the women's world cup because yeah. i do think it does translate and as you said change even the I heard someone say it even changed the like mindset or landscape of Australian sport forever, or even the Australian psyche of like a you know uh, women's sport. So yeah, yeah, I would agree hundred percent. It was uh, it was mm-hmm. life changing. I think going back and you know in another lifetime there was times when you just wouldn't be taking women's sports seriously at yeah. all, and to see you know women's you know soccer, women's rugby league, and all women's sport really become 
this, uh, you know, uh, peak performance mm-hmm. with professional teams and sponsors supporting it yeah. is just amazing for our daughters to yeah, be able to absolutely. look up and be able to see that there's a pathway for them to be yeah. able to pursue their talents. And it's it's just an amazing change that is really welcomed. Yeah. To say, to say like, like with, with the daughters, like, my, like we all got daughters. My daughter's like 17 and she absolutely loves watching the WNRL. Shout out to Talia. Um, Wait, she, how old are you, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> You're looking young. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, just the girls that are played in the NRL right now are, are inspiring the next generation. And like my daughter, she she's a massive para fan, uh, but she would rather watch the women's game and just like you know, and just for that, you know, like for every any girl that's growing up at seventeen, their minds are gone. Like especially my daughter, she's got the ADHD, but she loves watching and supports the women's game. So, you know, they're inspiring the next generation, which is amazing. So, should we move on to the NRL grand final? Unfortunately, another wrong tip for me. <laughs> uh, it was so close. So, when it was 24, I don't know if you watched it, Justin, but when it was 24-8, I was so confident. They looked completely gone, didn't they, Penrith? But when and as we were talking about this whole podcast when there's a will there's a way mate and champions you can't keep champions down can you mate come off the man come off the hour nathan cleary amazing i mean i just want to like give a stat like you know um the broncos they were like the completion rate was like 97 i mean sorry the, the panthers were 97% and they only made they made one error in the whole game and this is how amazing the Broncos played. They were still in it right up to the last 20th minute. Like any other stat and any other team, 97% with one error, you're winning by 50. You know, and that's how the testament to how the Broncos played. Um, and uh, like, you know, we, we, seen, we know how good Herbie Farmworth was. But, mate, he absolutely killed it that night. I didn't think, like, I thought he was a good player, but like in a big... Big stage like that, he just absolutely killed it. Him, Payne Haas, Pat Carrigan. I was going to say, yeah, Payne Haas, he had six runs for 70 metres and made 22 tackles, which is quite quite high, isn't it? Um, And then Ezra Mann had that hat trick and that's when I thought... I thought they had it. Yeah. Achilles was running away on our group <laughs> chat, on the weekly upload group chat. We couldn't yeah. hear anything from yeah. him. No, actually, you did say they're not out of it. I remember Darko yeah. saying, he was saying it's over, and you said never. So, Well, let's, uh, Darko literally wrote, uh, I'm going to call it game over. Yes. <laughs> He's a bit of a jinx. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Darko. I must say, okay. yeah, you, yeah. I think, I think look, look, what... Brisbane played really well, and, and I think they were the better team, even though the stats don't say. I think what changed the whole dynamic, and I, I've seen this on a podcast, and I think it was um, Brendan Smith who plays for the Roosters. I think he said that the Broncos had the perfect game plan where they were, they were um, you know, used to t- uh, defending with Isaiah Yo coming off the ruck. On that 20 minutes, uh, Isaiah Yo went off. Um, Luai went off and the ball was going straight to Nathan Cleary. As soon as that happened, Cleary broke the line, passed it to Leota, scored. And, like, the Broncos looked shell-shocked because the ball was going straight to Cleary and something they didn't train for and hadn't seen before. And then that last 20 minutes was just like, you know, Cleary was just waving his wand and just bamboozling them and stole them right under their feet. 
Uh, look, it's one of the best individual displays that I've ever seen from any sportsman in any code. Yeah. And I'm not a Nathan Cleary fan, okay, but you can't do anything but praise that performance. It was absolutely, absolutely incredible. And for the way that he just dominated that field yeah. and literally from 24-8 down to come back and win that game almost single-handedly with two of his best players not on the park alongside him was just a masterclass and it's so impressive. And he scored, you know, that the last try he scored, Brandon Smith, I heard uh, on the podcast also said it was five on three. Yeah. Down that blind side. So in rugby league terms, that is a massive no-no. They mm. should not score five on three. And he still found a way to score. I know they're fatigued, the Broncos. But as you said, I think probably the, the biggest uh, or best performance by one player in any code Absolutely. definitely this year and arguably ever you don't know because if he didn't have that belief system it was kind of a very american-y i don't know if you watch much um if you boys watch much super bowl okay. but when the patriots came back they did an, a documentary afterwards and a lot of them this is very american uh to be like this but they were saying this will be the greatest story of all but oh, sorry about the accent this will, <laughs> <laughs> this will be the greatest story of all time and they were down I can't remember the exact score, but I think three touchdowns, which in gridiron American football is a lot. Huge, yeah. But they never, they never died, and they won. They wow. won that game, the Patriots. So that was mm. probably two or three years ago. But yeah, if you watch a documentary, they're all saying like, mm. "Think about the story. Think about the story. This will be the greatest story." And they came back and win. And I, I felt like he, in particular, still had that mindset that they were going to mm. win. It was interesting too. You know, when he made the break and passed. Back to Leota, yeah. and he scores a try. That's the first time that Penrith players were not jumping all over their player. That's yeah. the first time this season, or I'll, I'll call it and say in four years, that I've never seen them embrace a player. So I didn't even think the other Penrith players thought they were going to win. But yeah. Cleary was like, let's go, grab the ball, let's go. And then I think once they scored the second try, it looked like an avalanche, didn't it, really, well, for the Brisbane Broncos? To me, watching it live, it just—it was the first time that I seen Penrith look really tired. The pace of the game was so intense to the point, like after the game, I looked at the stats. Dylan Edwards ran for three hundred and six meters, and like he is the fittest guy on the field, and he looks spent. Like usually, if we break through, you see you always see him backing up, right? Like like to run for one hundred fifty meters, it run one hundred ninety meters. He ran for three hundred six meters, and like. You know, any other, any other, any other game, like he's scoring three, four tries from that, and like yeah, and but but the pace of the game and the quality of the game was great, and just again, like the women's game, it just come down to the individual player, that, you know, step up at the right moments, and if look, if that doesn't put him into immortality or you know up there with the, the with the greats, then I don't know what would look, to win a game off your back like that when the chips are down. I think for me is is right up in the conversations of. Your Andrew Johns, your Lockyers and stuff. And can I say, obviously we've mentioned Cleary, but Fisher Harris, he ran for 95 metres yeah. and he broke six tackles. And I thought when he had his second stint, he really changed the momentum of the game. We've talked about all year on how the Broncos forwards on this podcast their quality of minutes are unmatched by any other team. And it looked like when it was 24-8, it looked like it was going to go that way, didn't it? The yeah. forwards were rolling forward. Yeah. They, Penrith looked like they couldn't stop them. But as you said, just Nathan Cleary, mate. Like, just just yeah. quality. And look, and I'm the pack, in the pack. 
and like the 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 outside backs for Penrith were huge too. Like I know we talk about Herbie Farnworth and you know um, Katoni Stags, but the the back three for for Penrith were huge in this game. You know, um, and they, they they do such a good job. And Brisbane did a good job just to hold them back as well. So it was a high-quality game, and I think it was the perfect Cinderella, Cinderella ending to go three-peat. Like, you know, it hasn't been done since the Mighty Parrot Eagles. <laughs> but, yeah, um, my yeah. mum was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't happy about that. Um, so the, were you – can you – Confirm that you were supporting the Broncos, Justin. Hey, you know what? I was I was a bit of a fence sitter for that game. Yeah. I was I was a supporter of it being an incredible game, which it was. It was hard for me because I really wanted to go for Brisbane because I definitely didn't want Penrith to win. <laughs> that was that was the number one goal. But at the same time, being a massive South fan, watching Reynolds, it's a you're a bit torn. Mm. You're like, do you want you love him? But do you really want him to win in yeah. a jersey that's not yours? <laughs> yeah. So it's a tough one. So deep inside, absolutely going for Brisbane, you know, wanting yeah. the, wanting those guys to win. And especially watching them play really felt like they deserved it. Mm. While at the same time, Penrith not giving up. Showing, you know, the the, um, the strength of the team right through to the 80th minute and them coming through with a victory. It was just something – it's a sporting event I'll never forget, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. 100%. Matty, I want to ask you a question. How did you think Penrith looked and how do you think their future looks? Could they possibly be the Queensland team in the club side? You know how Queensland went seven. I mean, they're all young. Cleary's only 25. He's, you would say he's got at least another five, six years. And like Sean Johnson, how old is he? And he's in his prime. Mm. If they can keep the same playing group and with their systems, could they be unstoppable and get the seven in a row? The only reason why I don't think that maybe can't happen is with Penrith's game plan that they play every week. I don't know if it translates with Origin. So you know how it's mm. funny when you said uh, uh, Justin mentioned it, it was good that he mentioned it, of Isaiah Yo and Luai going off. Isaiah Yo plays essentially like a second Receiver. Uh, second receiver. Yep. So he passes it out the back. But in state of origin, you're used to that fast running, uh, wingers doing hit ups. It's a, it's almost a simpler game in state of origin. I just I found it hasn't translated exactly to to state of origin at the moment. Maybe they might have to go with um, Cleary because he was forced into a second receiver. Mm. Maybe that might be an option. Um, I just think, yeah, the game plan hasn't exactly translated. In NRL week to week, they're, they're a machine. They're a juggernaut. They're very hard to break down to find a mm. cog in that machine. But with state of origin, it's a different beast, mm. isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. If I can just say as well, the salary cap is the biggest difference between NRL and origin. These players that they keep losing year on year, how many more can they lose before that shine goes away? Mm. Crichton's next. Luai's probably coming after that. How can they hang on to all of these players? And, yes, they have a machine where they keep producing genius players, which they've proven they can do. But what's Brisbane started to do? The young guns coming through that club, they're going to be better next year than what they were this year in spite of losing a couple of players. I think the Roosters are looking really strong for for next year, I would say. And then if the Rabbitohs young players that are coming through from New South Wales Cup can step into the first grade team in spite of the second half of their year, those four teams there alongside Melbourne with Pappenhausen back, I think you've got a really interesting season next year. Mm. 100%. I think it's a good point you said Brisbane Broncos because a lot of people are saying... 
this grand final is similar to when Penrith played Melbourne and lost their first grand final. You saw those young players a bit raw. They sort of they got overwhelmed on the day. They ended up losing 26-20 just from memory. And they actually came back, Penrith, in that game, but they couldn't do it in the end. So it was funny. I watched that game during the week. And I just thought, oh, I wonder if they could do that again. And then it came to fruition. Obviously, they did it. They yeah. did it again. But it's a good point. Are Broncos the next um, superpower? Parramatta. <laughs> We're trying to not be biased on this podcast, Achilles. I think, I think, yeah, Broncos have got a young side. That's youth is on the side. Um, I don't know who will replace Reynolds, but Reynolds has probably got – I don't know when he's contracted to, but he, he looks like he can go for another couple of seasons. I think uh, Brisbane have said they are offering him another year. Can I just ask Justin, when he was signed for the Broncos, what did you make of that? Because I know South fans were split. Some were saying he is too old or you should put in a new halfback. Or were you thinking – like he has, he's also even the sentimental value that he mm. grew up next to the ground yeah. and everything like that. So what were you thinking at that time? I understand the decision the club made because you had two good young halfbacks coming through in Lachlan Ilias and also uh, Dawkins coming through, who's, who's the player of the year in New South Wales Cup. So letting go of one of your veterans to make way for two young up-and-comers was the decision the club made at the time. And I think if they had their time again, they might not have made the same decision but you also had a lot of years when Reynolds was injured and that was a consistent part of his game. And Brisbane have been lucky enough where he's been relatively injury-free injury for a couple of years. But you didn't know that was going to happen. So where do you go? Do you do what Penrith's done and bet on the future? Yeah. Or do you continue to invest all of your resources into the older crowd? Yeah. Now, you could, you could flip a coin and, you know, one time you would have been right and one time you would have been wrong and Lachlan Ilias would have gone off and played for someone else and been, you know, the best new player to come to the tournament. You just wouldn't know. So I think it's a really hard decision. I think the club made the best decision with the information they had at the time. I think, I think Joey Johns wrapped Lachlan Ilias saying, like, he's the next big thing. And I think he will come good. I, I see it as shades. I mean, he just needs time. You know, at the hardest thing is when you've got – in favour with someone like Andrew Reynolds. Everyone loves him, you know. Everyone yeah. loves how he plays. Like, you know, even if you're not a South fan, you just love the way he plays. He, you know, he plays tough. He's, he's very skillful. So going from that to a, a new superstar, everyone's always going to compare you to that superstar. Yeah. And I think Lachlan Lewis will have his time. And I think, um, you know, the South's, South's fans and South's teams need to persist with him because he will, he will get the goods. Yeah, and I think with halves as well, it's like what you're both saying. I guess it's hard to have an old head on a young body. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, they mature a bit later. So most of your halves are 25. That's why I think Cleary is so amazing mm. in the fact that he's done so well at this age. I think he's shown his maturity over the like over this grand final yeah. over the years. And he's made he's made Ezra Mann look good too. You know, like Ezra Mann talent, but he's just allowed. He's just allowed Ezra Mann to be Ezra Mann. If, I think mm. if Ezra Mann didn't have someone like a Reynolds inside of him, I think Broncos would struggle. And I think, uh, you know, uh, Reynolds was their missing link. Mm. Before we move on, Justin, can we get... Well, hopefully you do come on this show again, but if you, <laughs> if you don't, didn't like it and you don't, can we get your grand final... I'm putting you on the spot, my grand final prediction for next year. Ooh. It's a tough, it's a tough question. You know what? I, I, I would say Penrith's going to do it again. That's my, yeah. that's my first guess okay. based on what I've seen so far this season. 
But if I was to pick a dark horse, I'd be picking the Roosters. Mm-hmm. I think they came good at the end of last year. They've made a couple of great signings. I think they've got an amazing team across the park, and I think they're underperforming in terms of the quality of players they have on the park. Could be completely wrong, and I really am a massive South fan, so I don't know why I'm saying the Roosters. Um, <laughs> You're going against every instinct in your body. <laughs> but I, I just think they're, they're go, they're, they've had a couple of seasons where they haven't performed at their best, and I feel like they're going to come good. Yeah, very good. All right, should we go to our last segment? So you did very well, Justin. I yes. put you on the spot. That's why you're the big boss man, mate. <laughs> um, our last segment is our question from our millions and millions of the weekly offload fans. So this is from Vinny, my client, actually. Shout out to Vinny. He trains at Marrickville. He loves... I've been training him for three years since I've been back in Australia. He absolutely loves... Um, well, he hated the gym before he started training with me and now he loves it. I've, <laughs> I've given him an A and B program for three years and he, he keeps it. coming back. He <laughs> loves it. He, he get, he's gotten so much stronger. I put on 10 kilos of muscle. So I said I'd give him a shout out. So shout out to Vinny. Let's go, Vinny. Um, he said, I'm more of an AFL fan, but love the show. Uh, he said, I was wondering if you could ask Justin what sport would be the hardest to come back from injury, I know for you it's difficult because you played um, soccer or football, depending where you come from. But what do you think would might be the hardest injury or sport to come back from? Uh, look, I'd probably say basketball. Uh, basketball would be one of the toughest sports to come back from simply because you're changing direction so often. Um, you've got all that damage to your joints that just isn't seen as often. If you look at the NBA players, they're also playing 82 games. So you see a lot of athletes within that sport that pick up a lot of injuries and really struggle to reach their best again. So I think the NBA is probably up there. Mm. What do you think, Achilles? We'll go um, to you, mate. I think, I think a lot of contact sports, you know, like again, with basketball, and I think a lot of contact sports, but I think in the martial arts game, especially something like MMA, um, if you been concussed and been knocked out a few times, you know, there's science to say that your body sort of protects you. So you end up getting like a glass jaw and that's something that you can't help. Like you can rehab all your injuries and come back and, but like once your jaw starts going and which, you know, it, you see like a lot of people get knocked out and concussions too, you're never that same fighter. You know, especially if you've come back, if you've got knocked out and try to come back, you know, your timing's not there, you get a little bit hesitant. You know, the heart's willing, but the body sort of breaks down. So, um, you know, and youth is, isn't by your side anymore. So as you get older, I think, you know, once you get, like, serious injuries in, in a, like, a martial arts game, like the UFC, kickboxing, even boxing, you know, it's hard to come back from those, you know, hard knockouts or, you know, hard injuries. Just one more before we go, Justin. So with, when you had your injuries, uh, what did, did you feel your confidence was not? Because I know a lot of uh, professional athletes say that they're, when they come back, it's just that yard, that really uh, yard of pace that they lose. Did you find your confidence was knocked? Yeah, definitely confidence get no- gets knocked. And I also think injuries are dependent on position and sport. You know, for me, I was a centre midfielder. So I was, you know, clocking up over 10 k's a game and I had an Achilles issue. So when you put those two things together, the training level that I needed to persist at and the amount of metres I needed to run on the field, it really affected it massively. Whereas if I was a striker and I was floating around the field for half the game and then just had to run in bursts, it would have been a different recovery process. But, yeah, to answer your question, I think your confidence gets knocked. Your ability to train, which I think is one of the biggest issues, gets set back. And then once you've lost a bit of that momentum, it can be hard to get it back. 
was, it took everything in my body not to make a joke when you said I had an Achilles issue. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think, I was about to say, I think you got one now, man. Yeah. <laughs> it took me everything, but I was like, just, you, you're the host, just yeah. let him speak. Um, so boys, it's, I think this definitely has been our greatest podcast. I'd like yes. to thank Justin. Um, he is basically, for anyone watching at home or listening, he is like the Andrew Johns, Jonathan Thurston, Billy Slater, Goat of the fitness industry, yes. all mixed into uh, one package. So, Amen to that. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to uh, close off for the weekly offload. So, we have taken a load off for this week. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Justin. <laughs>